Okay, uh, let's read through the, the sentence that we, did, we read yesterday uh, by reflecting on the, the benefits of Bodhicitta as a whole, all-encompassing, all-embracing, all-welcoming this month is. By reflecting on these qualities, then let's read the, the sentence. The householder, Viradada requested Sutra states, if whatever merit there is in the mind of enlightenment has formed, it will fill the entire world of the sun and then exceed it. Were someone to fill the Buddha realms with jewels, numerous as the grains of sand of the Ganges, and work with it through the protect of the world, far superior is the merit in the offering of one who is joining this world. Reverently generous the optimistic mind of Bodhicitta, there is no limit to the merit in this. Compendium of the Teaching Sutra Bhagavan, Bodhisattva should not learn many teachings. Bhagavan, if Bodhisattva grasp and know one teaching, they will ask the Buddha's teachings in the palm of their hand. What is this one teaching? It is great compassion. Lama Tsongkhapa's great treatise of the great path to enlightenment. Therefore, the Mahayana is the cause of all glories of self and others, the panacea that heals all pains. A great path traveled by all the masters, nourishment for all beings who see, hear, remember, and come into contact with it, and that which has a great skill in means that engages you in others' welfare, and thereby achieves your own welfare in its entirety. One enters the contest thus, what a wonder, what a wonder, what a wonder, I have well found what I am seeking. Enter this supreme enter this supreme vehicle with all efforts you have. Okay. Next, so this is uh, what um, Kathleen helped me with yesterday. Uh, this is really uh, a great uh, correction that we need to do. And uh, earlier there was this one. Um, he saw her. Where is that? Yeah, yeah correct that as well. Where is it? The third, third paragraph in Householder Okay, yeah. Okay, third uh, para. Yeah. Uh, make this change to the second line. Joining his or her hands. His. Instead of this. Second line. And then we read uh, the compendium of perfections. This supreme vehicle is realized by genuine wisdom. From it, the omniscience of the great Buddha arose. He is like the eye of the world. His radiance like the rays of the rising sun, a value the Bodhisattva's way of life. It is like the supreme world-making elixir, for it transforms the unclean body we have taken into the priceless jewel of a Buddha form, therefore firmly seize this awakening mind. I bow down to the body of anyone who has generated this sacred jewel of the mind. I take refuge in the source of joy, who brings to happiness even those who harm him. It is the quintessential butter churned from the milk of the sublime teaching. Force of non-virtues is great and extremely intense. Beside the altruistic mind of enlightenment, but virtue can overcome it. Like the fire in the end of eon, it will instantly consume great negativities. All other virtues like after bearing the fruit, they perish. But this altruistic mind of enlightenment, like a wishful granite tree, all bears fruit and never dies, but flourishes. Like a blind person finding a jewel in a heap of garbage, by coincidence the mind of Bodhicitta has arisen in me. 
Those who wish to destroy the many souls of their conditioned existence, those who wish all beings to experience a multitude of joys, and those who wish to experience much happiness, should never forsake the awakened mind. Just as a flash of lightning on a dark, cloudy night for an instant brightly illuminates all, likewise in this world, through the might of Buddha, a wholesome thought rarely and briefly appears. Are they entry into the middle way? Compassion alone is seen as a seed of Buddha's excellent harvest, as water for its germination, and as the maturation in a state of enjoyment. Therefore, why did our said, address compassion? A guide to the Bodhisattva Tree of Life. Whatever joy the world has is derived from wishing joy for others. Whatever misery the world has is derived from wishing happiness for oneself. To say more, look at the difference between these two. The childish act for their own welfare, the Buddha act for others' welfare. Do not be disheartened by this challenge. Although you are frightened upon hearing someone's name, now due to the power of humanity, you will miss the person when he is away. Sentient beings and the Buddhas are similar, from them you achieve the Buddha's quality. How is it that you do not respect sentient beings, just as you respect the Buddhas? Adisha said, Enter the door of the Mahayana teaching should develop through effort over eons the spirit of enlightenment which is like the sun that clears away darkness and a moon that quells the torment of heat. <coughs> okay. <coughs> now, um, after well recalling the benefits of generating bodhicitta, uh, making yourself so calm, embracing others with a genuine smile to everyone, and likewise you also re- receive the same when the others they feel that sense of compassion radiating from you. So now the question is, oh this is such a marvelous idea, but then how can we possibly achieve that? This is the question. So, as we all know that every time any idea is given there, we must be able to ask the questions and connect to each of these points the way you know it is intended to be reflected in a mind. So now the question is, but how can we ever generate these two, you know, this wonderful mind of Bodhisattva within us? So then, uh, of course, uh, it is based on our common common sense and common experience. And originally originally the teaching is transmitted by the Buddha and uh, there are two techniques. One which is known as the sevenfold cause effect relationship and the other the equalizing and exchanging method for cultivating bodhicitta, the two methods. And it is believed, it is said, believed that the teaching on bodhicitta in terms of uh, the technique of the sevenfold cause-effect is what is transmitted from the Buddha to Arya Maitreya and then to Arya Sangha and then finally down to uh, the Atisha the Great and then Lama Tsongkhapa okay. and then Whereas the other technique, the technique of the equalizing and exchanging ourselves for others, 
This is transmitted from the Buddha to Aryamanjushri to Aryanagarjuna to uh, Shantideva, the great Bodhisattva Shantideva, and then finally down to Atisha again, and then Lama Tsongkhapa. But when I say Lama Tsongkhapa, since that, you know, the, the teaching that I received is in this tradition. Otherwise, you know, broadly speaking, we can simply come to this point. Uh, the great Atisha, great Atisha, and then from there, you know, all the Tibetan traditions, they acquired uh, this teaching, you know, on the Bodhisattva, the two techniques in a form, in a blend form, are uh, transmitted down from Atisha, whether it's uh, Nyingma, Akaiju, Sakya, or Giluk, or schools. <clears throat> so, usually, the trend, or uh, the sequence done, is the sevenfold cause effect one first, followed by the method of equalizing and exchanging. However, I like to alter it here, uh, not because, you know, the former teachers, they are wrong, but because I could be wrong. And moreover, it is said that, you know, um, out of these two, the method, the sevenfold cause effect method, uh, it is supposed to be, you know, this, there, there's a, a, there's a general uh, belief that this method is meant more for, more for those with, you know, moderate uh, mental faculty, and whereas the method of equalizing and exchanging is meant for those with greater or sharp faculty uh, beings, right? So, uh, with the belief that you all you all belong to the sharp faculty, so uh, I would like to do that one first because I don't know, you know, the second one, uh, you know, how many time, how much time we are going to get. So I like to do the, do the second one first. <clears throat> and then, of course, after completing the two, then we will briefly touch as to how to blend the two practice. How to blend the two practice. So uh, the first one, which is the equalizing and exchanging method for cultivating bodhicitta, uh, we ha you know, so that can be broadly broken down into two two parts. The first. Equalizing and second, exchanging. Equalizing and exchanging. Okay. <clears throat> now look, I, um, you know, I prefer to do that much more in the form of you know question answer, uh, question answer. So, say. Um, first of all, what do you mean by equalizing self and others? You know, so this simply means that so far, what is our attitude? You know, towards others, what is our attitude towards oneself? Say, if you're all hungry, you know, desperately hungry, you know, acutely hungry, and if there's a food there, and if the person asks you, who's going to eat it? What is going to be what's what's going to be a natural response to it? Mm. Oh, I'm going to eat it. I'm going to eat it. This is going to be a natural response. Response. And if you ask, oh, can I give it to Kevin and not you? Oh, you will say, oh, please, please, to me. You may not say. You may not say, oh, not to Kevin. But you surely say, oh, please, to me, implying not to Kevin. 
But then Kevin also said other things. I don't know. Kevin is so kind. I don't believe that. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so the thing is that you know. So look, this is our natural response to you know the impulses. Natural response to the stimulus. Always there's a sense of you know taking oneself as more important than others. Now the first step here. To cultivate bodhicitta, if you are asked, oh now look, bodhicitta is the most excellent path, you know, you have to practice it. So there, you should be able to exchange oneself for others. You should be able to say, you know, oh you want to eat it? You have to be able to say, no, 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 give it to someone who is more hungry, you know. But this we can hardly do it, you know. And we have said that, look, uh, the just a, a small baby. Or pizza and all these things—they are so healthy, they are so good, and all these fruits and these things. And if we give it to one a month-old baby, what will happen? <laughs> Very likely we go, right? So now look, we need to be really very realistic and practical. We should start from where we are, you know. Simply don't jump to the the top right away. If you do that, what will happen? You know, you want to go. Um, you know, you want to go to the kitchen, and if you are downstairs, and do you think that, you know, of course, you can avoid all these steps, you jump. You know, just in one, you know, in one go, you just come up there, but you can hardly get it, get there. You need enormous, enormous skill, you know, ordinary people cannot do that. So, if you try that, then you'll, you know, end up with broken legs. <laughs> You know, and then it it might take you two hours to get up there. <laughs> so better start in a very safe way. So likewise, in a like manner, the Buddhist Shah came up with a very practical, compassionate, you know, which we can practice so easily. So instead of the Buddha telling us that, oh, you have to give up your limbs, you have to give everything that you have to as others for others, instead of that, he said. First, try equalizing. Equalizing oneself for others. So, you know, when if you ask, oh, do you think that you and others, instead of you feeling that you are more important, we are just all equally important, then, you know, instead of uh, the, the question that, oh, you should consider others more important than you, you know, it is more acceptable to you when you are said you are equal than others. You are equal to others, you know? So, the first step is considering oneself and others equal. But the question is, you know, but the question is, our innate response says that, no, it doesn't say yes to this. No, I'm more important. If somebody asks you, then you might say, that, oh, we are all equally important. But the innate natural response says very differently. So, to test this, just you know, we should be all hungry for about, you know, for about seven days and then leave a food there. And then ask, who wants to have it? You know, then the, the real response will come. Okay, so now look, now look. Along, we, what we need to do is that here we need to uh, work out with the, <coughs> we need to work with the, the logic, the reasoning to give you a deep sense of conviction. You know, first, 
Just don't say no to your, you know, innate feeling that I'm more important. What you do is ask yourself, why you want to have it and why don't you want to give it to others? Or ask all these questions systematically in proper sequence. Then what is going to be your answer? Anyone? Sorry? I'm the one who's suffering from it. Yes. I don't want to suffer. So now, if this is what you, if this is the response, then, you know, the answer is very simple. The others also suffer, you know? It's not just you who is suffering, the others also suffer. Again, who's going to eat it? You'll say, I'm going to do it. Why? What will be your response? My suffering is greater. My suffering is greater. And the other will say that, My suffering is greater. She's lying. And who's right? Who's wrong? Again, from that respect, we are saying. So now look, as we come down, finally it will come down to the innate desire within you to have happiness and not suffering. This is the ultimate answer. Now look, this answer is not just confined to you, it is universal. So, you know, we see that underlying reason, underlying all these emotions, desire, wanting to have the food first for yourself, you know, is nothing but the reason that you want happiness and not suffering. If this is the case, it is universal, it's not just confined to you. Now look, you should be very sincere in asking this question, very sincere, be able to answer it, you know, answer the question, try to answer it, and then finally you should be able to come to know that this is the underlying reason. That I, did, I wish happiness and I don't want suffering. And then now, look, this is not a proper answer. Because this answer that you gave, you know, is common in all. Everyone, everyone equally shares the wish to be happy and not want to suffer it. Now look, there's the equality. You know, you and all are just equal in wanting happiness and not wanting suffering. So why should you feel more important to yourself? You should treat everyone equally. You should treat yourself and equal, everyone else equally, not being special importance or greater importance to you. Number one. And number two, as to why we and all others are equal, you know, why you are not especially of great importance. Number two is that say, you know, if there is someone, if there are two, you know, if, if there are two uh, kids uh, drowning, if one, you know, if one is really, you know, quite hopeless, and the other, you know, in terms of in terms of compassion, in terms of knowledge, in terms of charismatic attitude, you know, other one is greatly equipped. So with the you know the greater potential that the other one can be of greatly benefit to many people in the future. So if both of these two are drowning, which of two you're going to say first? Oh greater potential. Of course this is logically of course you want to say both, but if you are you know if you're able to save only one at a time, then of course this is going to be the priority. Right? So look everyone you know, so of these two, we choose the one with the greater ability to help others. In fact, 
Who has the greatest ability? It is the Buddha. And each one of us has that ability, that ability to become Buddha. And it's not just you who has this ability. Every sentient being has this ability to become the greatest benefit to all sentient beings in the future. So again, look, it's not just you, everyone else. We are just equal in being highly superior, in having this incredible jewel, Buddha nature, present in, in, in each one of us. So look, there's no point as to why you should treat yourself as more important than others, you know? But our innate conscience will still say no to this. Now look, with the help of this powerful logic and wisdom, understanding these logics, you know, you should be able to practice this passive experiment in our daily life. You know? Say, if you're really very hungry, and if the other one's also hungry, if there's a food, you know, Although your inner feeling will tell you that, oh, go and grab it first. But reflect on these reasons well, reflect on these reasons why. And you should be able to ask this question to yourself as to why you want to have it first. Because you have nothing special. You know, you have nothing special which is, you know, more distinctive, more out- outstanding than, you know, others. So we're just equal. You should be able to tell this to yourself. See, if there are two persons there, and one who is more, you know, um, who, who is, you know, more self-centered, and when the dead person, when person B goes for that, what will you do? You stop the person and divide it equally between <laughs> the two persons. If you dare to do this, you know, to the, the two outside uh, persons, then why not you do to yourself and the other, when it comes to you and the other? You divide it equally, and should be able to tell, you know, your self-cherishing mind, no, this is not right. Just as you tell the self-centered person, it is not right. You know, you should be able to do it. So, we try to put that into our own real-life action. Then, look, this is very strange. One thing which is so strange, and, you know, so um, encouraging, is that, actually, these are challenges. As you go along, as you encounter these challenges, confront these challenges, and if you succeed one, there's a deep, deep sense of joy and sense of fulfillment coming in you. Profound. It's beyond words. You know? And then you see the hope. You know? Then you see the hope that hope for the next step. So, from these two reasons, you, by no means, you are more important than others. We are all just equal. Because the underlying reason why we are self-centered, you know, there's no sound reason. Eventually, it will boil down to, I simply wish happiness and not wanting suffering. If this is the case, as I said earlier, all sentient beings, they all have this sentiment, desire, you know. Number one, this is why we are all just equal. Not that you are more important, number one. Number two, you know, and in terms of, in terms of the qualities, the best of the qualities, the Buddha nature, the capacity or the seed whereby someone can become the most revered person, where someone can become the benefactor of all sentient beings, 
This seed is present not just in you, but in all thinking beings. So, in terms of, you know, the desire, we all have the same desire. In terms of the qualities, the wonderful qualities, we all have the same. So why should you give preference to you, priority to you, and not treat everyone equal? Right? So, just work on these two logics. And then try to implement these two logics. See how far you can implement these logics into your practical action of bodhicitta. First step, equalizing one's of others. Right. So, if you are successful in this practice, then what will happen? The test is very simple. Again, we all experience hunger for seven days. And then leave food there. At that point, who's going to eat it? We'll say, oh, I, you know, we're all hungry, you know. So you want, uh, you want me to eat it? Okay, fine. You want to give it to Kevin? Oh, it's fine. You know, so you don't really give preference to you. So if that happens, then this is a measure of you having achieved this first part of, first part of the technique of equalizing and exchange one of others. Now, after being successful in this, now look, you have already climbed the first step. It is easy now to climb the second step. You know, after equalizing, then if you are asked, oh, now look, um, but in real sense, you know, it makes greater uh, sense to cherish others more than to yourself. Then, you know, the mind will is it will not say oh no 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 it will not say 100% no 50% which means that you have already progressed so much in this okay so at that point what did you say who's going to eat the food you said oh me all of we all are hungry you know just 50 50 okay good that's good that's really reasonable you know but you don't say that 100% to the other person you know if the other person if the you know person, the the uh, the benefactor says that oh um, shall I give the hundred percent to Kevin? He said, oh no, fifty fifty. You know, so this means that you have passed the first step, not the second. Okay, so now the question is, you know, now you have already succeeded a great deal. It's a great victory. It's a great success. But don't stop there. Keep on going. Keep on walking. Keep on walking with enlightenment. So what is the next step? The next step is exchanging. Exchanging oneself for others. Now the question is, what does it mean by exchanging oneself for others? Does it mean that to, to, from, to, from today onwards, you are going to be me and I'm going to be you? No, this, it, this doesn't mean exchanging. Exchanging means, you know, changing the object. Changing the object of the cherishing cherishing mind. So far we have been cherishing ourselves. Now the next step is to start cherishing others. So far we have been oblivious to the others' welfare. Henceforth, you know, change the object from others to yourself. Start being oblivious to one's own, you know, welfare. So this is what is meant by, you know, exchanging oneself for others. Okay, so when you say, start cherishing others, you might say, oh, it's understandable, but 
start being oblivious to yourself. Oh, no, no, no. This is unacceptable. Okay, so many people tend to misunderstand this and because of which think that, oh, this is really unrealistic, very passive religion, something like that. Something like, something like that. This is all because of the misconception of this understanding, not being able to understand what it means. Okay, so we will deal with this. <clears throat> now, to really, you know, upgrade to the second step, again, don't force yourself. Never, ever force yourself, you know. Don't let your mind, which is so reluctant, you know, to go. If you do that, then you know you you might be able to succeed to take the horse, you know, at the river. But if the horse says no, I'm not going to drink it. That's it. You cannot make it drink, right? So don't force yourself. Simply tell your you know tell your mind, teach your mind the reasons, teach your mind the intelligence, the wisdom. And then the mind will say yes. Don't force, don't force. And always the practice must be taken in a very smooth transition. No abrupt. Abrupt is quite dangerous. Always make sure that there's a smooth transition. So how how to do that? See. You know, see, the Buddha has been so skilled. Simply using, you know, the faculties, the common sense that we have. And then on the basis of that, he let us transcend, you know. He let us transcend um, the basic, ordinary, you know, um, the rudimentary beliefs and thoughts. Okay, so, the Buddha said, look, what do you actually like? Oh, I like happiness. What degree of happiness you like? 10%? 2%? 20%? Of course, if there is 100%, I'll go for that. I see. And also, not only that you want 100% happiness, but many people, they tend to commit suicide. You know? Do the worst of the thing for themselves. For what? With the belief that there is something good coming out of it. So this means that, you know, if something good is, if something what you really, you know, um, seek is go- going to happen, do you dare to do anything for, for that? Yes, even people even dare to commit, you know, commit suicide. Which means, that, are you ready to do that? Then you say, yes, if you're going to give me 100% happiness. Then the Buddha said, well, look at, simply look at, you know, I'm not going to tell you anything. Simply look at the world. Go out, go out and look at the world as to who you consider successful people. And say, oh, Buddha yourself is the most successful person. And Mother Teresa, oh, Jesus Christ, oh, His Holiness, all these people, do you consider them as successful? Yes. And if you really, you know, become one like them, you would be happy? Yes. You want to do you would dare to do anything for that? Yes. Are you sure? Yes. So now next, again I'm not going to tell you anything. 
Simply explore for yourself as to how these people became great. Did they all become great because of the, you know, oh, they, me, always me, I, my? Or because of, you know, always think of others? Or all, of course, always think of others. Look at the teaching of the Buddha. No way he mentioned, you know, I, my, me. Always about other sentient beings, be compassionate, cultivate wisdom in order to be compassionate, in order to be happy yourself, you know? Look, and what about Jesus Christ? He gave his life for others. What about Mother Teresa? Again, he spent all his life dedicated towards the welfare of the, you know, poor street children, elderly people. And what about his holiness? All his life seemed to get dedicated, you know, while he himself, so prominent on this earth, respected on this earth, and yet he's simply working, you know, for the truth, for to help those poor Tibetan people, and for to bring about happiness on the world, while he himself, you know, has a huge obligation, responsibility, still working for the welfare of the, you know, the entire world, at this stage. So look, so these success, and you promised, you have promised that I dare to do anything as long as, you know, I can become that famous person. So if you like it, then you do what they did. What is that? Cherish others more than yourself. Number one. And number two, you may also, some people, you know, it's quite interesting. Some people, they are more interested to have wealth than fame. That's quite true, you know. Wealth than knowledge. Again, then these people might be so envious or so admirative of Bill Gates and these things. If that's the case, what's the result of, you know, all this wealth? It's because of the previous life's practice of generosity. Generosity to where? Generosity to the rocks and the trees and these things? No, to sentient beings. Again, look, it is your embracing, reaching out to others that you are able to practice generosity. And because of which you have obtained, you are enjoying the wealth now. And then some people, they are so admirative of the Hollywood stuff. I don't know the names, like Richard Gere, this is the one I know the best. <laughs> and I don't know, Stephen what, something? Single, yeah. So anyway, I don't know, you know? So all these. And uh, I don't know, you know, the, the, uh, the, the boys and girls, what, the heroes and heroines, you know? So some are so attracted to the heroines, some are so attracted to the heroes, you know? Again, some people, they are more concerned about that rather than wealth, fame, knowledge and these things. Again, how do they come to acquire such attractive physical appearance? It's because of their practice of patience, practice of ethical discipline in the former lifetime. So, you know, practice of patience. Is it that they practice patience or patience to the rocks and these things? No, towards the horrible, you know, difficult people. It's the beings in relation to in relation to which they were able to practice patience. Against the, you know, achieving these admirable physical, you know, attractions, they're also the result of practice associated with the sentient being. 
again, look, if you really want to, you know, if you're really admirator of these things, you want to have these things for you, then again, you know, reach out to sentient beings. So we see that all good things, you know, that you can think of, whether it is knowledge, whether it is physical attraction, or whether it is wealth, or whether it is the fame, everything good, you know, is simply derived in relation to sentient beings. So, if you want them, even if you don't like sentient beings, but, you know, try to like them. Not for the sake of liking them, but for the sake of your own interest. Do it. Right? Then look. As you go along this path, as you practice, and as the reality will be unfolded, and as the secret will be unfolded. And what is the secret? Very strange. As I said earlier, once you taste the chocolate, you will always ask for chocolate, <laughs> not the ordinary candy. Similarly, you know, as you go along this path, you know, then it is not for the sake. Originally, you don't, you didn't start for the sake of benefiting others, but for the sake of yourself acquiring these things. And then you, you are taught by the Buddha that if you, do, if you want these things, you reach out to other sentient beings. You help other sentient beings, you know. And then for the sake of getting these things for you, with that as the sole purpose, you go to reaching out to sentient beings. And then as you go out to reach to sentient beings, you know, we see that you start feeling at home. All sentient beings simply love you. Then you really feel a very empty, great empty, you know, space, hollow, fills up. You feel a great joy. And the joy that you get from seeing the sentient beings loving you far excels the joy you get out of the wealth, out of the fame, out of, you know, those trivial things that we have been seeking. Now look, you know, you have not started tasting the chocolate. You know, the joy that you originally thought coming to you because of the fame, because of, you know, because of these physical attraction, these things, they are just like ordinary candies in the face of, you know, the joy that you get of embracing others. When you really start experiencing that within, then you have disclosed one secret. Then henceforth, you'll then forget, then you'll forget, you know, the joys coming out of these mundane, peripheral things. Rather, you'll seek the joy of embracing others. And then as you do it, it's so strange. You're very reaching out to sentient beings. It's the greatest joy. You know? So you don't want anyone else to interrupt this. You don't want anyone to, you know, interrupt you from benefiting other sentient beings. So now look, this has become your greatest goal. So now, it is from this, you know, the more you are able to reach out to sentient beings, the more you are able to sacrifice the, you know, for, for the sake of sentient beings, the more you feel joyous. The more satisfaction you have. More sense of fulfillment you have. But oh, this is the secret. And again, we experiment it. We experiment it. Be compassionate. Be loving. Be caring unconditionally wherever you go. And then you see what is the response from others. And there is a genuine smile coming from others. Not diplomatic. 
genuine smile coming from others. When there is a genuine smile, all your sense of fear, all your sense of doubt simply diminishes, disappears. There is a genuine surge of happiness and joy happening. Right? Okay, so now go. In fact, the great Kadamba masters, they talk of something that the Buddha uses, the spear, the spear, you know, the spear of ego, to kill ego. The Buddha, use, the Buddha uses the spear of ego to kill ego. Look, we have a sense of ego, self-centeredness, self-cherishing so strongly. And the Buddha is using that, saying that, oh, what do you like to have? Oh, I like happiness. I like, you know, the most attractive body. I like the greatest wealth. I like the greatest fame. And who said it? The search and Shema said it. And the Buddha is deliberately trying to, you know, evoke it. And then he says, yes, 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 I'll fulfill you. How to do it? Before, you, before I tell you, would you promise one thing? Yes. Would you be daring to do anything? To achieve that, those wonderful goals that you think? Yes, yes. Then embrace other sentient beings. While embracing other sentient beings, you come to know that embracing yourself is so insensible. Insensical. You know? So then you come to know that this self-centeredness is actually poison which has been hindering you from achieving the deepest of the happiness for you. You come to discover that. And then you kill this self-centeredness. How? You first, you try to, you, by, in, you know, invoking this self-centeredness and promising that the wish of the self-centeredness is going to be accomplished. And then in the actual event of, you know, the practice, you feel that, you know, Buddha, is not, Buddha didn't tell you that this self-centeredness is poison. But you discover that yourself. In the way of trying to fulfill this self-centeredness, the wish of this self-centeredness. You know? So now look, at this point, you come to know that all goodnesses, you know, the transcendental, the transcendental experiences of joy, which we have never experienced until now, is what I'm experiencing now because of reaching out to other sentient beings so genuinely, embracing others with warmth, you know? So, once you feel it, then this is your task. This is your, what you feel as obligation. This is what you feel as you go to achieve, to benefit others. Because benefit others is, you know, in other words, it's benefit yourself. Because it gives the greatest joy which your self-centeredness is unable to provide to you since beginning of time until now. And yet, this other cherished mind is providing you with it. You know? So now look, so from these reflections, and then again, take, you know, take the steps. Keep on going. Keep on going. Don't stop. Even if you think that now look, oh, I'm quite successful in my meditation and these things, or oh, I go for meditation, you know, in a meditation hall every day, and you feel, you know, quite calm in these things, don't stop there. Keep on going. Keep on going. Put these things into practice. 
you know, and then see how things go. Of course, of course, there are many obstacles on the way. Many obstacles on the way. As we said earlier, you know, the robber is big and the house which is rich. So now you have become richer and richer. As you become richer and richer, the robbers, they come to knock on you. They'll come to rob you. They'll come to break in your house. Right? So, be careful. If the robbers ever happen to break in your house, you should be so joyous. Now look, this is the indication of my becoming rich. Unhappy. Instead of feeling, you know, sad and despondent. Okay. So, look. So from these, and then putting these into practical reality, you know, really trying to reach out there. Try to say, you know, I'm going to be the first person to help you. And then see your experience, your feelings, whether there's a joy coming in you. Yes, indeed. There's no one, no need for anyone to tell you that. You'll experience it. Right? Okay. So with that, in short, what I've been telling you so far is, well, sometimes I think in the first stanza on page 3, Whatever the joy, whatever joy the world has, like, you know, anything is derived from wishing joy for others. Whatever misery the world has is derived from, from wishing happiness for oneself. As simple as that. Shanti, they've already discovered this a few thousand years ago. You know, now it is a job to test, to do the experiment again and see, you know, whether we can say no to the self-cherished mind, right? If you're able to say this, this is what is known as exchanging wants of others. At that point, you see that self-cherishing, cherishing oneself is in fact the cause of all pains, agony, you know? Pain, pains, agony, suffering, dissatisfaction within yourself. Look, you know, if you're so self-centered, Self-centered. If you always talk about, oh look, in Dharamsala I have this and this, and look, through my school days I achieved this and this. You know, always talking about myself, you know, my achievements, these things, you know. So I talk to him and then uh, he praised me so much, you know, and then, you know, I was being liked by so many people, always I, I, I. Then the listeners, they were still bored, <laughs> you know. Don't feel bored. Whereas, you know, whereas you talk about, say, oh really, I, I admire your company. This is the wonder that I, you know, that I really feel in your presence. You know, I learned so much from you. Will they feel bored? No. But look, this person is quite strange. You know, he has a deep sense of genuineness. He, has a deep, he or she has a deep sense of being concerned with others. Not simply narrow, you know, narrow towards myself. So then, the other, person, or the other person also feels like opening, you know, receiving you. So then, there's a genuine kind of media, you know, to flow between you two. There's a sense of sincerity. There is nothing obscuring, there is no veil between you two. You can just speak your heart. You know? So then, you feel that, you feel so secured, there is no fear, there is no doubt on the other person. What happens? 
it is it is your sense of you know cherishing others it is your sense of empathy and concern with others that this is happening whereas say you always talk about yourself you know even if the other one has so much good things you don't really touch that then the other person oh he's you know this person is really very proud very self-centered you know like that so then the, the other person will also not you know open himself or herself you know then because of which the you know you simply you remain so narrow and closed and closed and the other will also you know do respectively because of which then there's you know there's no communication real communication because of which there's a doubt there's a fear suspicion and do you, did you ever feel a great sense of ecstasy when there is a fear in you? <laughs> no. When there's a fear, there's always you know, uneasiness. You don't want to be there. You simply like to, you know, run away from this place. Why? Because of this fear. What created this fear? Because of your sense of, you know, sense of closeness. Sense of self-centeredness. Okay. If you untie this, undo with this, you know, then it becomes so open. The other, the other person knows you so well. You know the other person so well. Because of which there is no fear, there is no doubt. Doubt and fear comes when you don't know the other person well. Look at these small insects, you know, when there is insect going and we try to stop it. On the way, what does it do? It, it pretends as though like, you know, it is dead. No, even the tiny insect. Why? Because the tiny insect doesn't know what this stimulus is. Whether this is a real whether it's a danger or something good. But not to take a risk. So it pretends, you know, as if it is dead. If it is good, there's no harm in it. But it is bad, you know, at least you can be saved. Because you have pretended yourself as dead. And then the other one will not keep on harming you. So look, so there's a fear coming this insect. There's a doubt coming this insect. Because not knowing the, the, what the stimulus is. So similarly, when you keep yourself so close because of this self-centeredness, then you are not going to be so open to the other person. Because of which, you know, you don't know, you don't know, you won't come to know who the other person is. Likewise, the other person will not know you. When you don't know each other well, then what will happen? Doubt and fear arise and there is no happiness in it okay now look so knowing that what you are really seeking is happiness and what you really don't like to have is suffering so how best you can acquire the happiness how best you can shun suffering is by embracing others is by cherishing others be so genuine, you know, by cherishing others more than yourself, this can give you what you are seeking, right? <clears throat> okay, so now look, so with this, you try to put into practice, take the first step, don't jump to the point of, now look, I come to know that cherishing others is more important. So, you know, what you have, uh, you are suffering from heart failure, or I'll give you my heart. 
Or you are suffering from kidney failure, I'll give you a kidney. Don't jump to that extent. You are still a baby. <laughs> so we have to take the first step. Or give one dollar. It's quite, you know, what you can do. Give two dollars. This is what you can do. At least, you know, speak something gently. Speak something, you know, affectionately. This is also what you can do. And if somebody wants direction, you know, he wants you to show direction. Oh, with great sense of warmth, show direction. Instead of saying, oh, it's right over there, go to turn, go right, left, right. Instead of that, very direct and harsh, say, oh, there's a place over there. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, did you, did you see that? Or oh, I happened to be there. And perhaps you can also take a, you know, cup of coffee. It's a nice place over there. Or oh, no, the other person also start opening, you know. And there's a sense of security coming in the feeling of the other person, you know. So therefore, look, so this is what you can do, you know, what the, you should know the capacity that, you know, the capacity that you can, that you can um, practice. And then try to enlarge that, that capacity, expand this capacity, you know, but in a realistic way. If that happens, this is what I mean as keep on going, keep on going, right? So then, if you take the first step, it is so easy to get to the second step. If you're in the second step, third step is so easy. And then fourth, fifth, ninety-nine, hundred, nine hundred ninety-nine, Oh, if you think from now, one thousand steps, oh, it's impossible that I can take. But look, by taking each step, you will eventually get there, 999. Once you're there, the next step is so easy, you know? So be practical, but keep on going, don't stop. Okay, so now with this in mind, now look, it becomes so acceptable when, when we say, you know, instead of being oblivious to, towards others' welfare, be oblivious to one's welfare, it simply doesn't mean that you should neglect yourself. In fact, by being oblivious to yourself is by being oblivious to this self-centeredness. By being oblivious to self-centeredness, you are taking the greatest care of yourself. You know? So here, we should be able to distinguish, we should be able to really understand what it means by, henceforth, instead of being oblivious towards others' welfare, be oblivious towards oneself. It means be oblivious towards one's self-centeredness. By being oblivious to one's self-centeredness, you take, you take the greatest care of yourself because by being oblivious to the self-centeredness, you gain the greatest benefit, greatest joy. You know, it is through this action that you become Buddha. It is through this action that you become Bodhisattva. It is through this action that in the future lifetimes, you know, everyone simply becomes your friend. You want to be in, a, in an environment where everyone is your friend or where everyone is your enemy. Of course, you know, just let alone, you know, everyone around you as enemies. Simply say everyone not talking to you, you know, simply just ignoring you when they meet you, then you will build up a sense of tension, depression in you loneliness.
because of which you just feel like, you know, I just feel like running away from this place. And whereas wherever you go, you, you know, you hear, Hi, Kevin! You know? Oh, good morning, Kevin! Not diplomatic good morning. A real good morning. You know? Oh, why don't you come for a cup of tea? You know? Why should you stress so much yourself? Just come here for a cup of tea. Is this happy or unhappy? And what creates this? It is because of opening yourself, reaching out to others. Right? So look, this is the key. So now, if you're successful at this point, the test is very easy. Seven days hunger. And then Liverpool. Who's going to eat it? Please give it to Kevin. Please give it to Kathleen. You know? Instead of, I will hit it. No. Even this 50-50, you will not say it. Please give it to others. If you're able to say this, you have power like that. <laughs> okay. So, look. This is the basic practice. Now, with this practice, you come to know that, you know, there's a genuine, genuine reflection in you, genuine insight in you, understanding in you, discovering that cherishing others is what I'm really seeking. Because cherishing others is what I'm getting the most happiness. You know? So then, look, but what about those beings who I cherish dearer than myself? Are they so are they all Buddhas? No. Are they all Bodhisattvas? No. Are they all Arhats? No. But instead of they being these great beings, they are sentient beings. They are in samsara. They are in suffering. When then the next step is to look on the the suffering side of the sentient beings. How sentient beings are being, you know, being killed, being slaughtered in the slaughterhouse. I'm so happy that Srivastava Abbey is vegetarian. Imagine the slaughterhouse, you know. So if you don't think about the slaughterhouse, simply go to the supermarket, you know. Then you get all these meats, chickens and these things, well packed, you know, so beautiful. And I wonder if these small kids who go in, you know, to these shops ever know that these come from the pains of those poor creatures. You know, you think about, actually, that was really helpful. Sometimes we have to, you know, see those pictures and also those, you know, videos about the animal slaughtering. Then the compassion really comes up. You come to know the suffering in others. You know, that really, once I, you know, I saw the animals, the slaughtering, you know, slaughter in the Asian countries. And then also in one magazine, I saw that in the Western countries, they are equally horrible. Equally horrible. You know, you cannot say this is more horrible, this is less horrible. No, equally horrible. Oh, it's unbelievable, unbelievable, you know, unbelievable. So, being vegetarian itself is a great step that we have taken, right? Okay, so now though, so we see in reality, the sentient beings, they are not in paradise. The sentient beings whom you love so much, who you, whom you love more than yourself now, you know, but they are in such a desperate, destitute, you know, sad, helpless situation. 
You think of the poor animals dying. You think of, you know, you think of even the human beings. You think of those in the, the nursing homes, those in the elderly homes, you know. And we all, all the human beings on this earth, however rich you are, however powerful you are, you know, either you have to die untimely, and then people say, that, oh, he died so untimely, you know. He died so early, I wish, you know, he or she lived, you know, 20, 30 more years. This is complaint. Whereas, you know, if you see them living that long, like 80, 90, 100 years, and then again, you know, there's no escape. It's death. When you look at it, oh no, no one is saying that, oh now I'm going bye-bye. No one is saying like that. There's a deep sense of, you know, losing the whole world. Losing your family, sadness, what a tremendous sadness. What a tremendous, you know, sense of annihilating, sense of getting lost. So look, this is a pain. This is the kind of situation that sentient beings are in, you know. And they, now worse than that, is that, you know, the sentient beings, look at the sentient beings. The rich people, they're bullying the poor ones. And the poor ones, they're engaged in, you know, robbery and these things. Everyone is somehow engaged in negativities, wishing that they get something good out of it. But in reality, there accumulates negativities, negative actions, whose consequence we cannot really imagine. They're so painful. And these, these sentient beings, whom you love more than to yourself, they are doing that. And because of which, again, they are going to suffer. Reflecting on this suffering is so painful. Imagine a mother, you know, seeing her only child, very small child, you know, suffering from a sickness which is not recoverable. What would the kind of pain the mother has, mother will have, you know? Just imagine that. And then think of yourself in terms of the mother and think of all the other sentient beings in terms of, you know, that small child. And see if the, the child is about, you know, not knowing it's fire and about to, you know, put his or her hand in the fire out of, out of curiosity as to what that is, you know. And if the mother is far away, what would be the kind of feeling? What would be the kind of pain the mother would have? Oh no, oh no. When the mother sees the child is here to put the hand there, but on the first two, doing it. You know, so, but the mother could see the consequence of that. And then the pain is so sharp, so piercing at the heart of the mother. Likewise, the sentient beings, they are like, you know, the child, almost like putting their hands in the fire. You know, this is a process by which we will find the need to do fire. Like with all sentient beings, they are accumulating, accumulating negativity, negative karma, which are like putting their hands in the fire. And then these negative comments will eventually ripen into suffering, into pain, you know, these things. So, look, when you have a tremendous sense of compassion, tremendous sense of affection coming in you because of this understanding, whatever joy the world has is derived from wishing, for, wishing happiness for others, whatever suffering there is on this earth, they, you know, derive from wishing happiness for oneself. From this, you come to know that, you know, you come to know and you put into practice there's a tremendous joy coming in you when thinking about sentient beings and you love them so much more than you yourself. 
and then when you reflect about the soft nature of the sentient being, what would be kind of feeling in you? Say, a mother, you know, when the child is terribly suffering, will she say that, oh, you know, oh, just wait, I have to go to work? Do you think she'll say that? No! She'll forget about everything. She forgets everything. And she'll immediately pick up the child and take the child to the hospital. Forgetting everything. Even if, you know, there's something important that she has to sign, which is going to get her a few million dollars. She forgets that. You know? Because she cherishes this child more than to herself. Right? So, in a like manner, you know, just as the mother looks for ways to have this you know, beloved child, likewise, you like a mother, will simply look for ways to have these sentient beings who are suffering. And what is the way? First, you know, first, because of this affection towards sentient beings, when seeing the suffering nation sentient beings, then the kind of response, first response that you will have is a tremendous, a very strong compassion coming to you. And compassion is defined as the mind, as, um, you know, Affectionate mind which wishes others to be freed of suffering. Compassion is derived, is defined as a, as a loving and caring mind which wishes others to be freed of suffering. So this compassion, or oh look how I wish all sentient beings be freed of suffering. But what is the next question? But who's going to do it? You know? Oh how I wish, you know? This person is not suffering from hunger, and he said, Oh, but I have some job, I have to go there, now my time is off, I have to go to this job. Then what is this <laughs> What is this man? You know, so whereas, if you really feel the sense of pain, you know, what is there going on in the other person, then you will not say this. You will do something, you know, you will say that I will take the responsibility. Similarly, after generating this compassion, then the next question is, you know that you wish, all these sentient beings to whom you love so much, more than to yourself, you want them to be free of suffering, but who's going to do it? And then you should be able to say, I'm going to do it. Because my adventure, my, you know, my goal is to achieve the greatest happiness, which in turn is what I get from these sentient beings. By helping these sentient beings, I get even more benefit. I get even more joy. You know, so I'm going to take the responsibility. And this is what is known as the altruistic intention. Altruistic intention, you know, to benefit all sentient beings. Now next. Oh, it's so wonderful that, look, you have generated this altruistic intention to help all sentient beings. But what? You cannot even help yourself. You are yourself in samsara. You know, you even don't have, you know, uh, enough knowledge. To know science, how can you help all those people who, who want, you know, who want to learn science? And you even don't know how to cure even a small headache. So how can you help all sentient beings who are suffering from all these different sicknesses? And then this is a big question. Or oh, you have this marvelous altruistic intention to benefit all sentient beings. But how are you going to do that? You are inept yourself. How are you going to do that? It's like a mother who is bedridden and seeing a child suffering and, you know, not able to do anything. So how are you going to do this? You said that you're going to do it. But how are you going to do this? This is the next question. 
And then you come to know that, oh, this is really a very serious question. Very serious question. So now let's see. Oh, one thing good. Just let me see if there's anyone who is able to do it. And you saw that, you saw, it is the Buddha. It's the Buddha who is able to do it. Oh, marvelous, great. There's one person who, you know, who is able to do that. Who is able to do that. But now, what? Can I become one like him? And then, this is again the next serious question. Yes, indeed, you can become one like him. Because you also have this marvelous seed of bodhisattva, you know, the Buddhahood, which is known as the, the Buddha nature. You also have this Buddha nature. Your job is simply to clean this and awaken it fully. It's always there. You don't have to get something out from outside. The Buddha nature is there. You can do it. Oh, this is a great secret that I've unfolded. Look, now may I achieve Buddha and may I may I awaken this Buddha seed, Buddha nature that is with me and become, my, become a Buddha myself as soon as possible for the benefit of all these sentient beings. And this is Bodhicitta. Bodhi means Buddhahood or enlightenment. Chitta is the mind. Mind aspiring to achieve Buddhahood. May I be able to awaken this Buddha nature as soon as possible so that I become a Buddha as soon as possible to benefit all these sentient beings. This is Bodhicitta. Okay. Of course, you know, um, there are you know few questions that can come about that we will do tomorrow, you know, along with the different classifications of the Bodhicitta that I like to do. And then the next one is what I like to do quite briefly. The sevenfold cause-effect relationship. So since that most of you are already familiar with this, I'm going to briefly touch with it. The sevenfold cause-effect relationship to cultivate the bodhicitta. The first six are the causes, and the seventh one is the result. And the first six, let me just enumerate. Recalling all beings as having been one's mother. Recalling all beings as having been one's mother. Number one. Number two, recalling their kindness. Number three, wanting to repay their kindness. Next, the affectionate love, or you know, at the at the love, the love, which views all beings in the light of affection. Love, which views all beings in the light of affection. Next, great compassion, great compassion, and number six is altruistic intention, altruistic intention to take the responsibility upon oneself, altruistic intention to take the responsibility of all beings upon oneself. The, these six constitute the six causes. And finally, bodhicitta, the resultant state. Again here, look. So these two, both these two techniques, in fact, if you look at it, there's one commonality. The commonality is trying to create this bond of affection, 
between you and all sentient beings. Can't create this mode of affection, you know. So in the first, you know, this is by means of this stanza that you have on the first uh, the the first line of uh, page three, you know, uh, all all happiness will contain the drive through wanting happiness for others. All suffering will contain the drive through wanting happiness for oneself. You know, it is simply on this logic that one comes to create this bond of affection, genuine affection between you and all sentient beings. Now, the second technique, the sevenfold cause effect, is actually you know um, has adopted a different angle to cultivate this affection. You know, between you and other sentient beings. So see, in an ordinary sense, in an ordinary, common, everyday sense, we see that the kind of the bond, kind of the affection, you know, among all different peoples, among all different um, the affections that we see between people, the, the most profound one that you can see is between the mother and the very small kid. It's something, you know, I don't, I, I don't have the experience of being a mother, but still, you know, when looking at it, when looking at the mothers and the small kids, oh, it's something so beautiful. It's amazing. You actually, in fact, you know, no one can really break this bond between the mother and this small kid. You know, one year, one year old, two years old. So maybe the relationship can become, you know, worse. As, the, as the, the child becomes more and more sophisticated, saying that I'm self-sufficient, please don't, you know. Otherwise, when very small, where there's utmost need, utmost need of the mother's care, oh, the bond is just so beautiful, so remarkable, so pure and profound, you know. So, this is something so special. And His Holiness described our compassion into... Uh, to level this kind of compassion, which is something so naturally coming on the basis of the biological factors, is what his own says as you know the basic compassion, and yet finite and biased, because this is biased to the small kids and not to anyone else. You know, not to anyone else. You know, yeah. So, the kid is not saying that, Oh, mother, you know, you are giving so much of affection love to me, you know. If you please give me more, if you give that, then I'll help you next time. No, the kid doesn't say that. And the, the mother doesn't really expect that. Right? So, without expectation, when you give a genuine, when you give a profound affection, this is so genuine and profound. Right? Okay. So, it is one level. And his owner says that this kind of affection that the, that the mother feels towards the child and the child feels towards the mother, this is biological on the basis of the biological factor. It is biased. It is limited in its scope. However, this is so precious. This is so precious. Now what we do is that we employ, we use reasoning, we use wisdom, intelligence to expand this affection, this basis. The, uh, sorry, this compassion that you have, you know, that you have, expand it and make it universal. Make it, you know, infinite. Make it unbiased. So this is the seed of that unbiased compassion. 
at his fullness in a joking way he says that you know in fact this is what the males are lacking the mothers there you know the mothers they have this innate because of the biological factors they are born with this quality to have genuine uh, affection towards the child you know and his fullness then as a consolation to the males he said that but the males can use the intelligence you know to give rise to this infinite compassion yeah okay so now um, of course you come up with questions which we'll do uh, tomorrow you know about this bodhicitta so whatever let me first enumerate each of these quickly first one is recalling uh, every essential being as having been one's mother in one lifetime or the other say this life, this life you have a mother you know and say, even if your relationship with your mother is so horrible, you know, as you are older, but imagine, you know, you, when you were just one, one month old, two months old, one year old, two years old, or there the affection that you have received from the mother is just incredible, incredible, you know. So just forget about it, forgetting that, and then thinking about the new relationship, the bad relationship is so bad on the part of the, the child, right? It's so bad. So simply, you know, it is like, uh, it is, so anyway, so your job, the mother's job is to give you compassion when you are dead, when you're desperate, when you are in need of it. And that the mother gave. Now you are grown up. Now your job is to repay the mother. You know, irrespective of the response from the mother, it is your job. You know, don't expect any more compassion, any more money from your parents. You know, it is your job. To repay the kindness of the mother, right? So instead of that, saying that, oh, my mother is not kind, my mother is so bad, that bad, that is so horrible. It's, it's a reflection of your, you know, own bad impression, bad, you know, action, bad behavior. Okay, so, so you look up, you know, you have a mother in this life. In the previous life as well, you are not a Buddha, you are not a Bodhisattva, you are not an Arahat. Previous life also, it was just as sentiently or as ordinary as you are now. So surely you have been born from someone else. Again, you have a mother. And the previous previous, because of the reasoning that there is no beginning to one's life, you know, there should be another life before that. Again, we see that, you know, you should have a mother. You go on like that, and it goes endlessly. You know, if you're not, if you don't feel tired, go on. <laughs> You know, go on and on and on and on and on. Then we see that it's just infinitely great in terms of, you know, uh, your having uh, received the affection of mothers. Infinitely great. And where are those infinitely great numbers of mothers? In some other planet? No. All these sentient beings that you see around. You know? So this means that this is the kind of how every being has been one's mother in one lifetime or the other. Now knowing this, then you try to, you know, first you think of your, the mother of this life, you know, how she has been so compassionate to me in this life, how she has been compassionate to me in another life, still another life, still another life. And then you try to, this is easy, because this is what, you know, you really receive the, mother, the love from, from. And then you shift this to a neutral person, someone, you know, you don't have any affinity nor any hostility, neutral person. Again, the same person has been your mother in one lifetime, again in another lifetime, like that. 
and then you move this to your you know enemy, someone whom you have acquired a difficult relationship, you know. Again, same thing. You know, the person has been your mother in one last, you know, in the former lifetime. This is what had happened, right? So you try to simply apply this reasoning, and then we see that everyone has equally been one's mother many times, not just once, many times in former lifetimes. Once you know that, then think about the kindness that you have received from them. If they have simply forgotten you, for even for one day, a dog must have eaten you, enjoyed you, you know, for a wonderful meat. So, look, you survived that, you know, this, this, this amount of years, you survived because of the care of the mother. Not even neglected you for a day. Look, this is a kindness. And then look, you know, so in fact there are lots of accounts. Oh, it's so touching, so touching. Look, even the animal, let alone the human being, even the animal, you know. For example, the zebra, the wild animal, you know, which is uh, horse lion, zebra. What do you call it? Zebra? Zebra. So, look, when the mother zebra is alone, and if, the, if there were tigers or lions attacking, then she would immediately surrender. She would not fight. In some cases, you know, the more, uh, the, the more stronger ones might fight, but in most cases they surrender. But look, it's so funny, so funny, and yet it's so beautiful. You know, it really touches the heart. Imagine, there is the, the small baby zebra, then the mother becomes so courageous, so strong, you know, will not submit, will fight to the end, to these fearful lions, tigers. Why? She knows that she's going to die, but she doesn't like her, you know, baby to die. Look, this is the kind of compassion, this is the kind of affection that she feels towards you. This is the kind of affection that we have received. Even as, you know, as an animal, then you think about human beings. They have intelligence. Their compassion is even more. So look, so this is a kind of warmth, this is a kind of affection, you know, which we cannot really repay in any amount. Then think about these things. In fact, there's a very beautiful scenario that, you know, I experienced in a train. I'll relate this and then we'll stop here for today. In a train, when I was coming from South India to Dharamsala to receive teachings teaching from His Holiness, on the train, in the same apartment, you know, um, it, that I was in, there was one Indian family, a father, mother, and a child. It's so beautiful, it's so beautiful, you know. Child is quite naughty, and the father would say, Hey, don't do it. And the child, like this. And then, again the child is something like that. I said, Hey, go, go and pick that up. You know, the child goes there. So I could see that the child is under the control of the father. And the mother would say, let's say, uh, you know, his, the, the husband's name is uh, Mr. A. The mother would say, Hey, Mr. A, please take us something from the, from the back. 
And he would immediately, you know, <laughs> open the bag and take out something. Hey, get something. Uh, buy something from the, uh, from the, you know, uh, from this, from the cellar outside, from the fruit. Uh, they buy fruit, and he, he immediately, you know, take out the, the uh, pocket or the, the purse and go out and get fruit. Oh, the father is under the control of the mother. <laughs> and, you know, and the mother and the child would go closer and closer towards the mother, you know, and tell everything to the mother, you know, ask, just complain everything to the mother. And the mother would simply, yes, 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 you know, yes. And the child would say, oh, I like this. And the mother would take it or something, give it, you know. And if the, if the father is not noticing, then the child would ask for something else, you know, the mother would do it. And again, you know, something else, the mother would do it. And say something very complicated, the mother would say, Oh, yes, no problem. Oh, the mother is under the control of the child. <laughs> Not yet. It's so beautiful. So beautiful. The mother, I don't think she's afraid of the child. If the, you know, if the, if she's unable to comply with the child's wish, I don't think the child is going to, you know, uh, strangle her or like that. The child is a small kid, very small. She doesn't have, he doesn't have that power, that strength. But, you know, the mother is under this small kid's power. Why? For no reason other than this genuine affection. Look, when there is a genuine affection flowing, you know, all other conventions simply diminish. All other conventions simply dissolve, you know. When there's a genuine affection flowing, it's so, look, this is the kind of, you know, the affection, the beauty, affection that you have received from your mother when you were small, right? So, so these are the points that we need to reflect on about recalling the second point, the second point, recalling the kindness of all other sentient beings while there have been one lifetime or the other been your mother. Okay, we stop here for today.